three, two, one, zero, zero, and liftoff! Welcome to Mission Control, Peralta Design's podcast on all things branding and digital marketing. Since 2008, Peralta Design has launched hundreds of brands with award-winning identities and websites. Join our hosts Ramon and Jorge as they use decades of combined experience to tackle topics with past clients, industry partners, and the rest of the PD crew. At Peralta Design, we launch brands. But for now, let's launch right into this episode of Mission Control. Hey everybody, welcome to Mission Control, where we respect the grind and reclaim the American dream. I am your host, Ramon Peralta from Peralta Design, and we launch brands. I'm very excited about today's show because it's somebody that's very near and dear to my heart. It's a really good friend of mine and and a strategic partner of mine, and I'm very excited to have him on our show. Please join me in welcoming Mr. Harry Berlikoff. Welcome to the show. Hello, how you doing, buddy? Oh, man. Harry, listen, I tricked you. We're going to talk about how much the, the Cowboys suck. That's actually what we're going to talk about. And how... how about we change that to how much the Giants suck? <laughs> you can see in the background here, you see something on the wall here, something here very close and near, dear to me that you actually gifted to me. So Yeah, I remember. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you guys didn't make it. But I think this year we can we can honestly say all every team in the NFC East was pretty bad. Yeah, absolutely. We can agree on that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's get let's get down to it. We want to talk about you and and your story and and all the great stuff you're doing over there at Minuteman Press. Uh, as As a fellow business owner, we know this year has been tough. So let's start out with your backstory. Tell us a bit about what you do, uh, and w- more importantly, why you do it. Give me, give, give us, give us, and give our listeners a sense as to, you know, where this passion for printing came from, and, and a little bit about your background. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I love doing the printing. I was in the business for a long time. I've done it a long time ago, and um, you know, my brother is involved in it too. He also owns one of the Minuteman Press franchises, and. I was in the printing business while he started his own franchise. And, uh, you know, I'm working every day. I was working out of New York, living in Guilford and doing the drive. And it was over an hour and 20 minutes each way. And I see, um, you know, my kids and my wife, my kids were young at the time. So it was tough being away, you know, for a long time. And, um, you know, then I see my brother, he's over there, you know, starting his franchise and getting the business rolling and um, doing well and, you know, um, just uh, doing very well. And, um, you know, I see that type of stuff. So it makes me feel like I think, you know, I can do the same thing also. Mm -hmm. So um, but once I got into doing it and learning, you know, how to run a business and doing new things, it, it, it really becomes a passion because um, I look at it like I like the, the creativeness of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. I like um, supplying a product to people that can help them help their businesses, help their 
you know, their family life and certain things that they need printed. So I'm not all about the big stuff too. Someone walks in off of the street and just wants a poster done or a little thing. It's not like adios. We don't do that. Right. We try to do that for everybody. So just seeing the, uh, the appreciation from people for things that we do for them and, um, and also being able to give back to the community as in, um, you know, being successful uh, and giving back to the community and getting involved with stuff like that. So yeah. those type of things encourage me and uh, are, are things that um, make me enjoy doing what I'm doing. Yeah, and, I, and, and we're definitely going to get to that. You, you definitely do a lot in the community, and I, I definitely want to want to get to that point. Now, you mentioned your brother. It sounds like he influenced you a lot. What was it like growing up? Did you guys... Did you guys have a lemonade stand? Did you guys like, you know, uh, I know you guys were into BMX. Like when you guys were younger, um, what may have influenced you to get into owning your own business? Yeah, I mean, growing up and stuff with my two older brothers and my younger sister, uh, my younger sister was really younger, but uh, my two older brothers, you know, we were in a single household um, family. You know, my mother was, uh, my father wasn't around growing up and stuff. So money was tight. Um, and, um, you know, nowadays, you know, you know, you want to do things for your kids. You don't want, you want to do better than, you know, how you grew up right. for them. And, uh, you know, these kids nowadays, they don't realize how good they got it when, you know, things are, you know, they need sneakers. We give them sneakers, yeah. you know, we teach them the value of money and, have them uh, do things around the house to earn some stuff. But when I was growing up in a single family home, you know, my mother was always working and it was like, if you want sneakers or your new BMX bike or whatever you need, you, uh, if you really want it, you know, if we needed it, we got the bare essentials, but if you right. wanted something extra, you had to go and earn it. Mm -hmm. So with my family and my two older brothers, seeing them, you know, they scrapped and scrounged and working and see them making money, not in official jobs or anything, yeah. but, you know, like raking leaves in the summertime, knocking on doors in the fall, yeah. you know, hitting people up for raking their, their, their yard. And then in the wintertime is when you made the big bucks with the, you know, when it was snowing out and yeah. breaking your back. And now I look back, my uncle got away with a hell of a deal. It was like a, 80 yard driveway you know i think he paid me 20 bucks or something but we didn't realize it at the time but that 20 bucks went a long way back then so, yeah you know growing up and seeing those types of things i saw my brothers doing them and i started them at a young age and mm -hmm. you know you kind of get that sense where you know you, you you get you get the taste of you know you work you work hard you get yeah. paid and you know so yeah that was uh that was always fun with those yeah guys. Now, when, when we first met, I remember, um, uh, you know, I, I was looking for a local printer. I, I, I had been working in Stanford for a number of years, and now I found myself uh, working from home. At the time, I had been laid off, and uh, I was looking for a local printer. I looked, I, I don't know how, I, I don't know if I went online or if I looked in the phone book, you know, but that's how long ago it was. But I remember, I remember saying, oh, there's a Minuteman Press downtown. There was a rapid press that I used to use in in, in Stanford, um, and I looked you up, and I, I remember going down there. You you were at the other place there where it was like uh, I think there was like a convenience store there now, or yeah, 
Uh, it was on Howe Avenue, but I remember walking in and um, speaking with you and, and I don't know, we hit it off because you, you kind of understood that I, I needed this thing to get printed right. Um, I, I, it was a client in Texas. I was trying to impress them. And I remember you just willing to go above and beyond. But, I, you know, um, do you remember that, like, first instant, instant when do. we first met? I do, absolutely. I remember you coming in and inquiring. And you were, like, one of my first high-end clients who needed something you know, high yeah. end, you know, fancy, nice paper, yep. you know, certain spot colors, you got to match. This was, you know, the pinnacle of printing at the time of what we needed to do. And, right. you know, I had just started business maybe eight months before that. So, yeah. you know, people were just coming in for regular postcards and this or that. So I do remember when you coming in and, you know, I think that's when you had first started your entrepreneurial um, journey. And uh, I remember doing work for you. I remember you were working out of your, out of your house. I remember delivering a couple things there. Yeah. Seeing your little, uh, <laughs> your office down there. You were in, in your basement. PJs. Yeah. In, your, in the in the basement. That's right. But uh, yeah, those were my humble beginnings back then when I now, first started. Yeah. Not what I want to mention is that even back then, like I remember. And this is like, and if and if our listeners hear any drilling, Harry has an apartment above his print shop. You know, he bought a building last year, which I'm super proud of him. Uh, came with a rental property upstairs, and and they're doing some remodeling. So if you hear something, this is real life, folks. You're gonna hear uh, things going on in the background. He's getting the, the apartment fixed. You're gonna rent it, hopefully. Uh, and for our entrepreneurs out there, when I first met Harry, you were you were moonlighting. You had your own business. But you were still working. Uh, I think you were working an overnight shift, doing like photo retouch work. You want to tell us a little bit about that because you've got some, you've got some pretty good Photoshop skills, uh, and and uh, you were doing some work for Pepsi, I think, at the time. Yeah, um, I I was mainly into electronic prepress, and that prepress company. You know, I used to be a cook back in the day, and. Um, I never heard of electronic prepress. I heard of graphic designers and um, printing companies and stuff like that. But in order for the printers to print their stuff, they need something called plates. And those plates, the old traditional way before digital printing, mm -hmm. um, needed to be produced, which went on the presses in order to transfer the ink from the blanket onto the paper you needed these plates so mm -hmm. in order to get the plates you needed a good electronic file so the colors would separate right and the images would look right so they had these these um companies that's all that is all they did was uh electronic pre-press so a designer like pepsi would send in their files and we would look at the files and we would um, they had a, many different um, printing processes, like some of them, you know, they would print on cans, some of them they would print on shrink wrap, some of them they would print on 12 packs cardboard. Uh, so when all those different printing processes needed to be um, done, the final outcome had to all the colors, the blue from this process had to match the blue from this process had to match the blue from here and so on and so on. So it got pretty intricate. And once they did one design, we'd have to 
put them into a different die. So a different layout from the 12 pack to the six pack. So getting back to what I was talking about, basically um, this electronic pre-press was a lot bigger than I, you know, I've never heard of. And my brother, Ron, my older brother was um, working in a pre-press company. He started there at the bottom Mm -hmm. and he worked as he was working his way up and I was working as a cook and he's like, look, Harry, you always like computers. You know, there's a way that you can get into computers you know, there's a future in, in this business. I can get you a part-time job here. So I was finally made it to the day shift during the week as a cook, because usually when you work as a cook in a restaurant, you get stuck on night shift and you get stuck on the weekend. So after a few years of doing that, I earned my way down to a Monday through Friday cake shift, you know, during the day. And then I had the opportunity to go change my uh, direction in my career and learn something new. I actually was going to get vacation time and sick time, you know, things in the restaurant business at the time you just didn't get, but I had to go to night shift. So this company that I went to was an electronic pre-press company. And um, I started learning the old school way of producing plates which was they call it stripping they would um have all these different vinyls and flats and you had to burn them on a big machine to make one plate sometimes you had to do like 15 different maneuvers to make one plate but they were that was when the mac was just coming out in desktop publishing so i saw that there might have been an opportunity for me to learn on the computer i always wanted to get on the Mac when the Mac first came out and learn this stuff. So I made the switch and I went over to this new company. I went to nights, I mopped floors, I emptied garbages. And then they finally got me in the proofing room where I was mm-hmm. making proofs. And then I went on to the contacting room and right about then they started to bring in the electronic pre-press stuff. And um, I, at that point for whatever reason that was so high end at the time i didn't see my opportunity at that company to get on the mac and learn the mac so one of my friends that i worked with there he ended up going to a different company that all they did was electronic pre-press and he's telling me if i start out um at the bottom which was doing quality control um eventually that they're telling him that i can have a position learning the computers so i said what the heck i'm going to take that chance and do it so i switched over to this new company and um i i thought it was pretty easy at first because it was like you know here's a printout and then we're gonna make our proofs and you gotta compare the proof i just stood there all day comparing a proof Mm -hmm. to a printout and make sure that it matched all the text was the same all the graphics was the same, nothing looked funny. And I enjoyed it. And I think I did that for maybe like six months or so. Mm-hmm. And um, they were giving me the opportunity. The guy that was running their Mac department uh, at night wanted to go to the day. So they needed a new nighttime supervisor to run the Mac and print film and all of this stuff. So I jumped at the opportunity. I was on days at that point, but knowing I'd have to go to nights, but it took about six months of me training during the day with the day shift guys until they felt that I was up to par. So I got my opportunity to learn on the Mac and they taught me all the different programs like freehand 
and um, Quark Express. Those are older ones that not a lot of people use. They don't even exist anymore, yeah. Yeah, I still know some people that still use Quark. Why, Mm. I don't know. But I learned that, and I was learning Illustrator and Adobe Photoshop. And then I switched over to the night shift, and, uh, you know, I was young and full of uh, spunk and, you know, ready to learn and work a bazillion hours. I think I had a record there. One night I worked, I don't know, it was over 24 hours. That week I had, like, I think I ended up with 99 and three-quarter hours in one week. It was just crazy. So what did you live on, man? Like, because I know you don't drink coffee, so what were you, like, Nothing, just pure adrenaline, (laughs) knowing the job had to get done in the morning. And we stayed, you know, I had a little crew there in in QC department and in the proofing department. And I was on the Mac, you know, doing, you know, doing the the work and stuff. And I remember one specific instance that the president at the time thought was great. You know, this is before I, I think this is before I even got on the Mac. I was a quality control and they sent, this is what got me on the Mac. Mm-hmm. I had to deliver this to a, a client of theirs. And when they looked at it, it was like a Saturday and they needed it bad. And they were like, oh, there's a mistake on it. You know, we messed it up. I need you to fix this and get it back to me. And I'm like, fix this? How the heck am I going to fix this? I don't know nothing about computers. And I went back to the back to the shop. And the guy kind of talked me through it. He's like, you got to open up Illustrator. I'm like, Illustrator? What the heck is that? I figured out how to open it up. I fixed the file. I I didn't know how to run film at the time. I, I was somehow able to figure out how to do it and got them out of a ton of hot water. So our client was happy. Yeah. And then they talked me up a storm how happy they were to the president at the time. And then that's what gave me the opportunity to get on the Mac and yeah. you know start my career you've, on had, you've had that the way you're wired it's one of the things i admire about you uh is that you're you're just you just get it done you know like i mean you just figure out how to get it done and i know that there were similar opportunities when you were in the restaurant business you i remember you telling me a story i don't know i don't know how it goes anymore but the point of it was that because of your work ethic you know they promoted you or because of your work ethic they hired you Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I I remember. I remember. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So, you know that. I know we're talking about printing, but it sounds to me like it's your work ethic. First of all, you're learning this stuff on the job. There's there's people that they go to school, they learn this stuff, they come out, and and then they you know they start at the bottom. You're you're like you have an ability to just figure out how how to get things done. And you've, and and it's that work ethic that translates, whether you're a cook, whether you're uh, doing pre-press, whether you're owning your own shop now, work ethic, where do you think that comes from? Is that, was that taught to you or do you think you were born with that? No, I mean, I, I think, um, I think that comes from seeing how hard my mother worked as we grew up. She had that work ethic. Mm -hmm. She was a waitress most of her life. Mm -hmm. You know, our father was never around, never supported us, never sent any money. And she had four kids. And I look back now and see how hard she worked and the sacrifices that she made for us kids. Mm -hmm. You know, she was maybe 30, 35 at the time with four kids and single. You know, when I was 35, you know, I was married and had kids. But when I was younger, 
you know, I wanted to go out and party and have fun and yeah. not, you know, taking care of four kids. So I see how hard she worked and what she did. And I think from seeing that, I think that was kind of, you know, passed down to me and yeah. uh, just learning from example. Yeah, I hear you, man. I, I know that there was a, you know, some years ago, I think we were at our old location because we used to, we used to be right upstairs from me. I was right upstairs from you at the Dunkin' Donuts building um, downtown. But there was one night where you spent the night. I think it was for a project for First Cathedral. Yeah. They just hit you up with a late deadline. And yeah. I was like, what? And you were like, yeah, I've been running this machine all night, but you got it done. That kind of I'm, a thing. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, we do what we got to do to get the job done. That's, yeah. um, you know, when we got due dates, uh, you know, I, I don't think I've ever not met a due date mm -hmm. if i tell someone it's going to be done by then yeah we make sure it's done and i try to explain to my um my employees and they all understand too if just because somebody if someone says they need it by this day yeah. if it's like these um you know programs for an event which that's what it was that that time mm -hmm. you're talking about now if it's a program for an event they're putting their trust in you that you're going to come through they need it if they don't have it right you know their event doesn't go as smoothly or you know they can't do their event yeah. so just knowing that and um you know it's an honor to be able to get this work mm -hmm. and um you knowing that they're putting their trust in us to, you know they're counting on us to get it done yeah so that's one of our philosophies you know when we know of a certain due date we try to deliver it early but yeah at that one time there was no early it was like he needed it next day <laughs> yeah you know i think i slept on uh, the ramp in there exactly some foam boards <laughs> every like hour i was getting up to refeed the machine that's insane but you got it done man but um going back to when we first met and and you know before you got to the before you got to the uh, Dunkin' Donuts building, and now now you have your own building, um, I have, remember having a conversation with you, and this is this is a lot for our listeners that that are moonlighting because I think a lot of us start our own businesses while we're still collecting a paycheck somewhere else, or where you know the best time to start your own business is while you're while you're working, and then you know you have the steady paycheck, and then you can transition. But I remember you were like, I didn't know when you were sleeping. Speaking of sleep, because you were working at night um, at, at the at the pre press job, and then you were running your business during the day. And at one point, we had a conversation where it was like, dude, you've got to you've got to do this full time. Like if you want to take if you want to get full time results, like you you've got to be here. You know, you had a wacky salesman at the time. Um, you know, remember, I, we don't even have to go into that, but that was a challenge. We can talk about staffing issues and stuff like that. But what was it that finally gave you the confidence to just say, I'm doing this full time and I'm going to quit my other job? Well, it was a, a accumulation of things. I mean, uh, yeah, I was, I was working, uh, I was on nights again at my, uh, my pre-press job. Mm -hmm. And, um, I just got on today's just like that cooking deal. And then, uh, for a while before that, a couple of years, I had been looking to get into, you know, this franchise and, you know, buying into Minuteman press and just the right opportunity hadn't come around. And, uh, at this point, this opportunity did arise. It was in Shelton at the place where we first met, it was a, it used to be a printer. It was Valley printing years ago. 
mm-hmm. and for and it was a printing company for I don't know 30 years and um, there was no other Minuteman press in this area it used to be an old printing company so people knew it as a print shop I didn't buy them out but they ended up closing down and I was able to buy into Minuteman and then I moved into that building and I took over the phone line and then um, he had left some of the equipment there, some two bit equipment, which, you know, I utilized and I got to work. But at that time, I had in order to do this, I switched to the night shift again. I had a steady job coming in. My wife wasn't working at the time. Um, we, my daughter was maybe about three, four years old. And my son was uh, my wife was pregnant with my son. So I switched to nights and the plan was, was to keep that steady money coming in with the medical benefits. And then during the day, go into Minuteman. So I was working um, the night shift. I was, I'd work from four to like two in the morning. And, um, and then I got no sleep. I would wake up and then I'd be back at Minuteman at like six or seven. And then, you know, I would work Minuteman six or seven till three thirty. I had one part-time employee who would come in like around two and she would be there till we closed at six while I went back to North Haven and worked the night shift. So it was, it was a big, uh, you know, it was just, it just revolving, just the same thing. I ended up doing that for two years. And um, I think the turning point was, you know, I was feeling that my business wasn't, getting to where I needed to be is quicker, quicker than I expected. And I was just wearing myself out and I was missing my family, my kids growing up. And, um, you know, at that time, the business, the company that I was working for at night, they were a huge conglomerate. They had about 30 or 40 plants all over the U S and, um, they ended up, they were laying everybody off and shutting the plant down. So basically they laid everybody off in the plant. And um, I had another opportunity to go to a label place in Shelton. They specialized in packaging labels. So I could have gone there um, and done, continued what I was doing by working at night and then coming in at Minuteman in the morning. Couple issues were that they wanted me on day shift Mm-hmm. But I had my Minuteman during the day. They right. would have taken me at night and they were a client of mine. So it was a little awkward, <laughs> but um, I could have done it. But I was at the point, like I said, physically and mentally with my family and knowing that my business wasn't doing what it, what it was doing. And I was really at the point of quitting. Yeah, I was at the point where I said, you know, me and my wife agreed to give me another maybe six months of going full time, not taking the other night job going full time and seeing where that got me because a lot of the events through the chamber and networking events were after work meeting five o'clock five thirty where people got together and networked and you know where you meet people and events with the chamber and I wasn't able to do that for the first two years you know I did the chamber events in the morning but I thought it was more advantageous to be doing it you know near the end of the day when the majority of the people were there so I thought that that would help. And, you know, it was always like I had to cut out at 3.30 when all the crap was hitting the fan and I wasn't there to, 
right. finish up jobs and stuff. So I ended up, um, we took, we figured let's just take the dive right now and give it another six months and see how things go. And that's what I, exactly what I did. I gave up a night job. You know, I didn't have any medical insurance and, you know, my business wasn't doing what it needed to do to support me. And to be honest, I don't know how the heck we did it. I know. But, you know, a lot of perseverance and hard work ended up paying off. And, um, you know, the business just started to grow little by little every year. And, you know, that move right there by taking the chance and, um, you know, believing in myself and my people that worked with me and my support system at home really made the decision, you know, easier to do. Of course, it was scary and stuff, but, um, you know, that, that's what we ended up doing and knock on wood. It was the yeah. best, one of the best moves I've ever made. Absolutely. Now, um, the, the, there are some holes in the story that I, that I haven't, that I don't know if you could help me. Cause you, you guys live in Guilford. Um, yeah. I know that Jim is involved with Minuteman Press. I think, in fact, he's one of the founders, or he's the vice president. Well, he's not an owner or anything, but he is. He he, the original mm -hmm. owner who started this about forty years ago out of Long Island. Um, his son was like best friends with Jim Galasso, who's the uh, regional okay. vice president. So this him and his son, when they started this, they opened up a Minuteman, and it was doing good, and they thought about. Uh, franchising it out and they started doing that and then every time they opened up a new Minuteman across the United States Jim and the owner's son um, uh, Bob Titus would go out to a new state and open up a, a new franchise and that's all they did together for like the next you know five years as it grew and grew and grew I mean right now they're worldwide Minuteman there's almost a thousand franchises they're in canada they're in australia they're in africa i mean they're everywhere but um jim yes yeah, started it and then eventually you know bob titus's dad who's who was the founder you know he retired and god rest his soul at this point um jim and bob you know then bob titus took over for his father and um jim you know was um right there so he was an integral part in starting um, all the franchises and um, I got to meet Jim of course through my brother because mm -hmm. my brother had um, started doing his franchise you know and the guy if you're in the northeast not the northeast but if you're in you know the Long Island and Connecticut region if you want to buy a Minuteman press you, you go, go through, through Jim Galat yeah Jim now, how did but how did you end up in Shelton was it because your brother saw there was a print shop for sale or like how did well no like my brother really didn't have anything to do with that at the time he um had his own franchise in East Haven mm -hmm. and they don't want to put franchises too close to each other mm -hmm. so what they do is you know they do their demographics and they figure out you know how far apart they are and how many businesses are in this town or the you know how many businesses are in the town and if it would be a good um spot for a minuteman press and uh due to the other locations they've been wanting to put one in um shelton for a long time they just haven't found Got you it. know um, somebody that you know was ready and willing to do it and they haven't found the right spot now there's different ways of opening up a minuteman press you if you got a lot of bank roll uh -huh. You know, you can start out, you can buy in and then you can, 
you know, rent a, a building, you know, an expensive one or a cheap one, uh, you know, up on Bridgeport Ave where Split Rock is, and you know, where the rents, you know, prime spots, and you can just open one up on your own and do the marketing and build your business. There's another way of um, if you find an older print shop, what they like to do is they solicit some of these older print shops um, that, you know, the gentleman might be ready to retire and, you know, they got a decent business. So what we try to do is cut deals with them saying, look, you know, um, if you want to retire, you know, we'll buy your business from you. And then we transfer, we transform it into a Minuteman press. So that's kind of like what I did. I mean, I did that, but there wasn't much business left there. I mean, they like doing that. So when you start up, you at least have some sort of clientele base, you know, to get you going and to hopefully, you know, keep the electric on and, you know, till you build your business. And, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't have that bankroll and even doing something like that was still expensive for me. So that's why this opportunity where it was, because it was a print shop. He had some clients. Up, they had some clients. They they were doing about a hundred thousand in sales a year at this point. At one point, you know, in their 30 year business, they had been doing, you know, they hit a million in sales, but you know, things change. And, you know, um, I think that technology just kind of left them behind and they kind of got left behind. So they were basically closed down because the gentleman died and he had two of his, uh, his niece and his nephew working there for him. And um, the plan was they closed down and then, uh, I was cutting a deal to move in there and I was going to hire the two people, you know, and um, what ended up happening was I kind of got the raw end of the deal because, you know, like a day, a day before I was ready to close, I found out that the two people that were working there um, sent a letter out to all their clientele saying that they're moving uh, to Ansonia and they had a father that like had a flooring business and they were doing it out of the flooring business. And basically they changed the name by like adding on a comma or an LLC or something. So long story short, when I got in there, there was zero business. Oh, Although man. I thought we thought there was going to be some sort of startup oh. business. Wow. But, um, you know, so you that, literally, you literally started from the, from scratch with. Yeah. With, with yeah. Work. I mean, I had a little advantage because, you know, it used to be a print shop. So people were used to just go in there and some people just didn't, you know, care, or they might not have gotten the letter. There was a little bit there, but not what we had planned on to help me get going and, and stuff like that, you know? So it was a lot of, you know, a lot of the old files were there and, you know, we were pushing the new technology with the computers and stuff like that. And they were doing everything old school. They didn't have any email. They didn't have a computer in sight. So I just felt like with my um, experience and, um, you know, me, my, my crave for technology and wanting to learn, I thought that, you know, we could, we could do this. And at that point I was already knee deep in it. So there wasn't any turning back. I had to make it work. It was what it was. And, um, you know, so. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the, I know you and your brother now that you guys own your, your own, he's in, he's in East Haven, you're in Shelton. And you guys have opportunity to travel to conventions. What kind of support does Minuteman give that? Because you could have bought the Valley Print Shop and then just called it, you know, kept the name Valley Print or changed it. But you went with the franchise route. Um, 
what are some of the advantages? Like, I know you guys go away to conventions and stuff. Yeah, I mean, there was definitely some advantages, and I thought of not doing it through Minuteman, and I had other opportunities through different print shops that I knew of that were going out of business for me to, you know, take over and stuff like that. And I look back at it now, and it was like, you know, I thank God that I did go Mm-hmm. with a franchise now maybe that was only good for me because like i mean i knew the electronic print the electronic prepress part i didn't really you know i worked in a print shop that had electronic prepress but i i never really a ran a business i never did a lot of marketing i never wanted to be a salesperson and depend upon um you know me selling in order to get a paycheck but um so so my point is, is that the franchise um, gave you a ton of support. Yeah. Um, you know, just one thing about about paper. I mean, there's a million different specs of paper when there's tech stock and cover stock and different weights of tech stock and, you know, base stock and different grains of paper and different modes and colors and, you know, patterns and I mean, to me, that was one of the hardest things. And whenever I had an issue or a problem or a question, you know, it was just I get on the horn, call up the, uh, you know, the home base and they had a tech support there. Uh, When I first opened up, usually a Minuteman Press, they give you a field rep who comes out and helps you, you know, get situated and get the place in order and, you know, get you rolling. They give them to you for a couple of weeks. And then you're on your own. But with my situation, I was leaving at 3.30 every day mm-hmm. and going somewhere else. And they went above and beyond. I don't know if it was just because, um, you know, my brother was, you know, with them already for another 10 years. And maybe they were giving me some extra help. But I think that it, no matter who it was, they probably would have done the same. But this guy would ended up being at my place for almost six weeks before he, you know, flew the coop. And I was on my own. So that alone was a ton of help. There's also uh, Minuteman Press also does, um, you know, they get buying power in a big franchise. Yeah. You know, if they get, if they can get all of their franchises, they don't require you to do anything. You can buy from whoever you want. You can do whatever you want to do. But for the most part, they set up these deals with like Xerox or Konica. So you get special pricing that other businesses don't get or that you wouldn't get if you were to do it on your own um, paper companies linda meyer monroe central paper all these companies they give you a better deal because you're all buying from them so they're selling a lot more so minuteman sets up you know they, they look into new technology for you they have a convention uh every couple of every other year they have a convention where you go to and it's nothing but um tutorials and speakers and <laughs> they go over new technology they have a big vendor show where they get a ton of vendors there and you walk around and you look at the new technology the new booklet maker the new this the new that so what, what, are, what are what are some uh what are some new machines and toys that you've gotten there because i know you've been you've been getting more into the promotional side of things too yeah, there's, you know, some of these promotional products and items that people like to do. Um, I noticed that a lot of them, uh, people, 
a lot of them require you to have these minimums of like 50 or 100 if you want to get mugs you got to get like 100 mugs or whatever pens you have to get a minimum of this and minimum of that so one of these new textile technologies is um, something called dye sublimation, which has actually been around like 20, 25 years. But in the last four or five years, it's really um, come around to, um, you know, being getting back into um, the printing side of it, people buying. It's a special printer that has special inks in it. And what we do is we print in reverse onto the paper. And then when this ink... Uh, the substrate that you put it on, whether it's a mug or some sort of shirt or on metal, we do these metal prints. You put the paper upside down onto this substrate and the substrate has to have a polyester coating on it. So when, and then we put it into some sort of heat press. So when the heat press heats it up, there's a chemical reaction between the ink and the polyester coating that's on the substrate and they and and they bond together like the ink like bond it's not like ink laying on top of metal it goes into it it goes into it and it bonds to it and it creates it where it's like scratch proof you have different uh finishes that are like a matte or a satin or a high gloss but after you heat press it and open up the heat press and pull the paper off it's bonded in there so it gives like a really beautiful high-end look product that's going to last a really long time. Artists nowadays, you know, how they, they used to have these G clays um, that prints that are like archival paper. So mm -hmm. when they print them out on it, they last, you know, a long time, 10, 20 years. I don't know how long they last, but this new product where they're printing on the metal, they using dye sublimation. They say if it's not in sunlight, um, it'll last 60, 70, 80 years. Wow. They don't fade. So and the color is is spot on with the color. So a lot of them are uh, you know, archiving their prints on this metal. And it's a it's like when I went to these trade shows and saw this print on the wall. I was just like knocked all out of off my feet. <laughs> like this is beautiful. Yeah. You know, so I wanted to get into that. And by being able to produce these big metal prints and smaller metal prints, and by buying this system, we're able to do the promotional products in-house where we're not depending on another company because nine, ten, nine times out of ten, these promotional products that you go through if you're going through a local printer or wherever. They don't do them in-house. There's this network of places that do them. They always farm it out. These giant companies that do them and send them in. And then there's like setup charges. And then there's an extra screen charge. And then there's an extra shipping charge. And then there's a minimum charge. We don't do that here. I saw that this system would allow us to make, when someone comes in and just wants 10, or 15 whatever and if they want 100 200 we can do it but we're able to avoid all of those extra charges and then when this stuff would come in from someone that we had do them you're always worried about if they did a good quality job or not and um you know things get destroyed and you know they don't get delivered on time so this new technology with the dye sublimation allowed me to be able to do low minimums you know no minimums and not all those extra charges and make you know these uh these promotional projects in-house yeah wow man that's that's great and so that's that's a new area 
I've seen that in action. You've done some, you know, some prints for me of my car. You did some for RJ's uh, wedding, which came out awesome. Yeah. Appreciate that. I think it's a great product um, that you've added. Um, this year has been tough. Everybody, you know, everybody we talked to in business has had to do something different in the business. And some of these different offerings that they've created have actually led to new business verticals. And I know you've been busy. There have been less trade shows, obviously, because everybody's doing things virtual and you were, you were big into the trade show space with, with signage. Tell us a bit about maybe something that, something new you developed during, during the last eight, nine months um, that's a service that you weren't doing a year ago. Yeah, well, um, you know, we always did like prints and stickers. We can cut them to any shape and small signage and stuff. But when uh, this COVID hit and uh, we saw the need that in order to reopen your business, you know, you got to have the, you know, signage stickers on the floor to lead you in a certain direction or signage. And so we figured out how to find a material that, you know, when you're doing a floor graphic, you know, what kind of floor is it going on? Is there a special material for hardwood, the special material for carpet? And then you got to put a lamination on them that has a, you know, that slip resistance so somebody doesn't slip on it, that the lamination has a little bit of grip. So we were able to figure out and find one type of material that stuck on a low nap carpet and it all, and it was removable without ruining the carpet. And it also stuck on hardwood floors or tiling and it was removable too. So we, 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 we started doing that stuff there. A lot of our clients had needed to reopen. They wanted to get ready. So when it was time to reopen, mm -hmm. they were ready to go. So we, you know, we didn't get all the trade show stuff, but in return, we were at that point doing a ton of floor stickers and then um uh my neighbor billy d's over here the breakfast place had come in and he's like talking about how he needed some plexiglass because uh you know right now the plexiglass thing was big so you know um you know you don't get the spray and transmit covid right. he wanted a piece of plexiglass and i just happened to have one in my shop and he, uh, he's like well how do i hang this plexiglass on my desk and I'm like, well, let me figure it out. So I started looking into it, searching the internet of ways of putting this plexiglass up. And we found a, a supplier that made these poles and brackets for it. And I, you know, it was just like a little thing that I did as a favor to, uh, you know, my neighbor over here, Billy D's breakfast place. And uh, we went over there and, you know, I, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know anything about screwing in brackets and this. I mean, I'm a printer. But, you know, I'm somewhat handy and I figured I'm helping them out. So I did it and hooked them up. And then like the next day, uh, the mailman came in and he's like, oh, I was just over at Billy D's. And he told me he got some plexiglass from you. And he goes to post office in Milford needs some plexiglass. And I'm like, well, I can get you some plexiglass. So I got him some plexiglass and about two other post office called me. All they wanted was plexiglass, no poles. I'm like, all right, that's easy. And then. I got them some plexiglass and then somebody went into his, into Billy D's place. And he was, he runs a homeless shelter in Stanford and he needed like 80 feet of plexiglass <laughs> with brackets and poles. I'm like, what? <laughs> so then I start looking into it. Now everybody and their mother's buying plexiglass. So the plexiglass trade, like the prices went sky high for the plexiglass yeah. and they were, it was basically unavailable. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to go out of my realm and figure out where to get it and call, pull mm-hmm. out some contacts of some new suppliers and I was able to secure the plexiglass and I found these brackets and poles and you know my guy Jerry that does a lot of our signage installs for us came through he's really handy and we go over the project together and uh you know we did the guy out in Stanford that uh you know the homeless shelter we got that done and then I'm like I got to start advertising this plexiglass cuz everybody wants it yeah so we started doing that and then you know I did it I did uh, the Shelton dentist place up here I did one BCA over here the custom their whole front countertops and then that vca recommended me to another vca and then there was just it was like a snowball effect people wanted plexiglass and then the next thing was masks so with our dye sublimation system that we already had um it's it's just we can print on shirts with it but it has to be a light color a white colored shirt and it has to be 100 percent polyester so we came up with a mask that had polyester. It was three layers, polyester on the outside, on the inside, and in the middle was cotton. And they were all white, um, all white masks. So what we were doing is we're printing the colors onto them. Like I can't do dye sublimation on a dark polyester shirt because it works with the inks and you don't, this machine doesn't print a white ink. So what people do is, you know, if they have the big equipment, they could take a giant piece of polyester that's white and they print the whole shirt and they print the color black or dark blue, and then they fold it and they sew it and they make their bicycle. That's how the, the shirts are made, the spandex shirts for like, you know, you know, riding a bicycle and all of that stuff. So anyways, we figured out how to print the colors. So if you wanted a black mask or a red mask, we were able to print, you know, those colors onto the white. So that wasn't besides the floor stickers, we pivoted to the plexiglass and then we pivoted to the masks. And then, uh, you know, everybody needed, um, you know, they needed like the temperature gauges when you walk in and the hand sanitizers. Hand sanitizers. Yeah, we sell these two ounce hand sanitizers with the uh, with all the uh, ingredients labels on the back. Mm-hmm. And then what we do is we take the client's logo and we print a little two by three label in house and then we stick them on the hand sanitizers. Mm-hmm. So if somebody wanted, you know, five hand sanitizers or 10, we can do that. That's fine. But um, that was also one of the other uh, pivots that we had done um, to keep keep us afloat. Yeah, no, you, you've you've done well. Um, I know it looks scary for a bit, but um, you know you're smart, you're, you're innovative, you adapt, and um, yeah. I appreciate our ongoing lunches and, and being able to bounce ideas off each other as business owners. I think I think I think that's that's a big that's something I'm really grateful for. Now, one thing you mentioned there, this all started from hooking up uh, Billy D's. And for those that don't know, uh, you can get these sandwiches there called the triplers that Harry likes to, used to like. I think Harry cut those out of his diet. But yeah. it's like four eggs and like five bacons or something like that. Yeah, they they load them up. I mean, it's like a local place that's been there forever. <laughs> he cooks his bacon on the on the griddle, flat top. 
and he doesn't get rid of the the bacon grease. It just no. the bacon grease floats around, and when he cracks <laughs> the eggs and the sausage on it, they float on top of the grease. <laughs> it's crazy, but they're uh, like one of the best. It know, is greasy, it. unhealthy sandwiches you can eat. It, it's a it's a local staple, and I think my point is that you you know your spirit, your general your generous spirit. You're one of the most generous guys I know. You you know you're hooking him up. That led to so much business for you. Just helping. Helping your fellow man, helping your neighbor. Um, tell me in your words why? Why is you know you're a Gold Seal Award winner uh, with the chamber, which is the highest honor that that our, our local chamber gives to. I mean, because you print stuff for free for homeless shelters and and uh, hospitals, and you know sometimes I yell at you because you're giving away so much stuff. But why? Why is why is that such a big part of who you are, giving back to your community? Well, I mean, I kind of feel like, you know, when I was growing up and I was a kid, um, you know, I needed that stuff. My, me and my family, mm -hmm. we got donations from the food place. And, you know, I went to a Hebrew school and we had no money. And that Hebrew school took us in open arms, me and my brothers and sisters. And, yeah. you know, that was given to us. And I look back and I know, you know, that I'm not the only one that needed it. And there's currently people that need that, especially now during these COVID times and, yeah. you know, what's going on. So it's, I think it's just, you know, if I can help someone, if I can do it, I'll do it. You know, yep. um, I don't mind doing it. I like, uh, it was an honor to get that gold seal award and, you know, it means a lot to me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm not a flashy guy. I don't want to be in the spotlight. I don't want any recognition over any of this stuff. Um, I don't really advertise much what I do for the community. And, uh, you know, if somebody comes to me and needs something, we help them out. I serve on, you know, the board for um, Boys and Girls Club, which is dear to my heart. I remember as a kid, me after school, I didn't have any place to go. I mean, I didn't get, you know, caught up in drugs or anything, thank God. I mean, I had an interest in BMX and, you know, when I got done with school, all I wanted to do was get on my BMX bike and go meet my buddies and go have yeah. some fun. You know, some of these kids nowadays, they don't have bikes and they don't have nothing. So the Boys and Girls Club is a spot for them to go and, yeah. you know, not be on the streets. And, um, you know, it helps out the parents also because, you know, they don't have to pay for daycare and they got a nice, safe, healthy learning environment for the kids where the kids can go and, you know, learn, you know, they can do their homework and they can get help from counselors and stuff like that and guidance. And, yeah, you know, I didn't really have that kind of stuff growing up. So, um, you know, I mean, it's not like I'm, you know, I'm doing all right. I'm not, you know, you know, killing it or anything, but you know, when I can, I like to help people out or make a donation here or there and, you know, you know, volunteer and put some time in. Absolutely. You're, you're like I said, you're not only one of the most generous guys I know, but one of the most humble guys I know. Um, and that's why you're blessed and, and um, you help others. And, you know, they say uh, whatever you donate or give, you know, comes back to you tenfold. And, and I believe that And you're, you know, that's not why you do it. You actually you, you really just sincerely want to help people, which is awesome. So um, and you're sitting here in your own building now. You got construction guys drilling during our whole podcast. Yeah. Um, but that that's just a blessing you know that you're gonna you're you have a, a place to rent to somebody upstairs and and you can provide for your family and, and god bless you man you're killing in my opinion you are killing it and you're just Thank a good you. guy 
Um, as we wrap up, why don't you tell our, our listeners, um, you know, what's an ideal client for you? Maybe maybe share some of the services that you offer, um, some of the products you offer, and how, more importantly, how can they get a hold of you? What's the best way for them to to uh, arrange to uh, to contact you for a quote or for or for a banner or any of that other stuff? Yeah, I mean, uh, we're uh, we're located on Bridgeport Avenue, downtown um, Shelton, um, 42 Bridgeport Avenue. You can always find us online at uh, com. You can search us on uh, Instagram and see some of our pictures that, of recent projects that we do, uh, also on Facebook. Um, you know, we do business, business cards, letterheads, envelopes, stationery. We do... Uh, postcards and mailings if you have a list you want pre-sorted so you we could pre-sort your list and then we can have it imprinted and get you a discounted rate on the postage if you're a nonprofit, it's you know very cheap postage maybe 15 cents a piece uh, we can print brochures and we have a designer on hand that can if you don't have a file and you need something you know designed up we can do that for you too and you know as long as we're doing your printing um we also do like banners and signage and um, all that kind of stuff. Uh, ideal clients for me are other businesses. Majority of other businesses need some sort of printing, whether it's uh, printing and you know brochures, pocket folders, and stuff like that. Or if they just uh, now recently we're getting into apparel. Uh, you know, we do uh, apparel on our shirts. We do uh, embroidery and. We just bought a brand new machine that's a, it's a DTG machine. It's called direct to garment where the traditional way of printing on shirts was uh, to get it screen printed and they come out really nice. Again, you got to get a minimum, you know, there's spot colors. So printing a four color picture screen printed, you know, is costly, you know, they last, the product looks good, but this new machine, it's just a giant printer where we can put a, a nice cup of 100% cotton or 50-50 cotton poly shirt right on it, no matter what color it is. And no matter what picture you have, full color, I mean, it's top quality. It comes out great. They last, uh, you know, maybe 50 washes or so. And uh, that's the latest thing. If you walked in off the street and you have you want one shirt, we'll make you one shirt. If you're willing to wait 20 minutes, we can do it right then and there for you. Awesome, so, man. Thank you, Harry. Harry Harry, and I go back, you know, many, many years. Where I call him a strategic partner because I refer business to him. He refers to me. Um, I implore you all out there listening to check him out. Even if you're not in Shelton, you can, you can check out his website. It's shelton.minutemanpress.com. Harry, thank you for, for making the time. I know that you got a lot going on there upstairs and in, in your shop, but I appreciate you joining me on the show. Um, thanks for making the time, bud. I love you, and uh, I'll let you know when this airs. All right. Love you too, my friend. Be good. All right, man. Hey, everybody, thank you for listening to this episode of Mission Control. Until next time, this is Ramon Peralta with Peralta Design and We Launch Brands. Thank you for taking this journey with us. To learn more about Peralta Design and our work, go to www.peraltadesign.com and subscribe to keep up with the crew.